All right, Bitcoin Stoa, conversation with Alex Svetsky, September 14th, 2023, three, two, one. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Stoa. Thanks for being here. As a reminder, this is a community funded project. So if you enjoy listening, you can support us by sending some stats to the QR code on our homepage at bitcoinstoa.com, or you can boost us some stats through Fountain. Uh, and just as an FYI, you can actually be paid to listen to podcasts like this using Fountain. So I would highly recommend checking that out. Curve Moscow time is 37.52 at block 807.634. And with that said, it's my honor to welcome back Alex Svetsky uh, to talk about Spirit of Satoshi. So Alex, welcome to the Stoa. Thanks for being here. Good to see you, brother. Good to see you as well. So I don't want to mess around. We got an hour, 55 minutes now. So I want to kick things off with just a general question that I'd love to hear your perspective on. And that is for people who basically have no idea, have never heard of a language model, what is a language model? And is it artificial intelligence as it's commonly labeled? Uh, well, let's let's answer the second question first. And that is, uh, I don't believe uh, artificial intelligence is a name that should be given to language models uh, per se. I think they're, um, even the terminology language model, sorry, the terminology artificial intelligence is a little bit misleading because I, I, I doubt that human beings and particularly the nerds and the scientists understand intelligence. I don't think any of us really understand what the fuck intelligence is. Um, and, you know, we, we've got, we've got ideas, we've got these sort of loose definitions, you know, we're probably to some degree uh, got a decent understanding of like, um, you know, more cerebrally, cer cerebrally oriented intelligence. So like, you know, stuff that's more intellectual. Um, but, you know, out, outside of that, I think there's a, there's many gaps in just the notion of intelligence and then also the notion of uh, consciousness, which is an even bigger sort of, uh, I, I would say, overarching kind of thing. Um, my My sense is that, you know, some people say that, consciousness emerges from intelligence um you know others are like intelligence is sort of like a emergent from consciousness who knows like there, there's there's too many unknowns for anybody to have like a really uh concrete opinion on um i tried to grapple with this early this year and didn't really come to any conclusions actually other than we don't know shit um but <laughs> to to kind of bring it back to the to bring it back to the language models um these are essentially, these language models aren't really um, intelligent. They are sophisticated probability machines that are very good at like autocomplete. And I'm sure everybody's used Gmail at some point, you know, or Google Docs or something like that, where you can kind of see the sentence be completed and you press tab and it completes the sentence for you, right? Um, or, I mean, just autocomplete on your phone, right? Like, uh, and all of that sort of stuff. So, you know what we've what we've kind of discovered uh, as as a society with these language models is that language is largely a pattern thing, um, and maybe it isn't so embedded in intelligence as what we thought, right? Like if you go back and read a book, um, there was a famous one that went around for a number of years called Superintelligence by a guy called Nick Bostrom, and I remember reading that when I was younger and thinking that holy shit. AGI is like going to take over as soon as it like solves a couple of little problems, then it's, you know, all over. Uh, but I, I reread the book 
earlier this year, I think it was in, I think it was in March actually on my way to, um, on my way to Costa Rica. And man, I, I read it. I was like, man, what is this fucking junk? Like this is the dumbest thing I've ever read. Um, and I came away like back then, like in that book, there's a specific section of it that says language is an AI complete problem. And what that means, an AI complete problem means that by the time, um, sorry, the, the only kind of AI that can, that can solve this problem is something that is sentient, something that is like humans, that is generally intelligent. Um, and, you know, the, the assertion of the author was that by the time uh, we are able to talk with machines uh, or, you know, we've solved the language problem, the machines will have hit that inflection point where they become generally intelligent and then super intelligent and then they rule the world and it's all over. Well, lo and behold, we cracked language and we ain't got none of that. So, yeah, big <laughs> for the nerds. So anyway, to kind of tie tie that initial uh, question off, it's like these things, you know, are not dangerous outside of, and we'll get into this later, but they're not dangerous outside of, uh, you know, the way any other sort of social media kind of tool is dangerous, which is, you know, if that becomes your central source of truth, then, you know, there's a there's the potential for you to dumb yourself down or kind of like narrow all of your opinions or model of the world into that frame. But other than that, you know, these things aren't sentient. They're not conscious. They're no, they're not intelligent by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, they use probabilities and large numbers to produce uh, sentences that have some sort of syntactic uh, sense, I guess. Um, and yeah, as far as I can tell, uh, we're nowhere near uh, intelligence. I think, you know, we're in the age of hysteria where something cool comes out and we extrapolate it forward in an exponential pattern. Same thing we did with the lockdown, same thing we did with viruses, same thing we did with fucking that we're doing with aliens now. Like, same thing. We just overhype everything, right? Yeah. Um, and language models are another one of those examples. Yeah, and it's almost, it's like AI has turned into this buzzword and sort of evolved a life of its own. And it's totally out of con. It's like the people who are talking about AI most are the people who least understand anything about AI or even intelligence as a, you know, as a fundamental concept. And I think there's almost always a point where when you get into the weeds of things that we don't truly understand, um, language becomes a very limiting tool to explain some, a phenomenon that we don't fully grasp or that we actually can't explain in sort of human terms, right? And even when it comes to health, it's like you don't actually have to understand the pure magic of how the body heals and organizes itself to understand um, how to be healthy, right? And sometimes all the energy we waste trying to explain these concepts or trying to, you know, do the gymnastics to try and make people think we understand them ends up being just a total fucking waste of time. So, mm-hmm. um, so the, the main reason I want to talk to you today was all about spirit of Satoshi, which is this, from what I understand, sort of a domain specific language model that you're spearheading um, that covers the domain of Bitcoin. So I guess I really like the framework of why, how, what. So let's start with why. Why did you decide to create Spirit of Satoshi? And, you know, at this point in time, it's September 2023. What's, you know, why did you create it? And what is the objective? And you can frame that in as long term or shorter term as you want. Uh, but yeah. really curious as to why you created it. Yeah. So to to add a little bit of color there, I 
started out the year kind of a bit disillusioned with Bitcoin businesses in general. I was like, man, fuck this. I don't think I want to run another Bitcoin company because I don't want to deal with regulators or financials and all this sort of stuff. And then, you know, the whole AI thing popped off. And, you know, me being interested in books and writing and language and psychology, I found language models really fascinating. I was like, holy shit, there's potentially something here. And I just went down the rabbit hole, started asking the deeper questions and very quickly found like, as I said, you know, this sort of unfounded hyperbole of people and particularly sort of the just the classic nerd archetype, you know, oh my God, we figured out general intelligence, like this is it. Three months, six months from now, the rate of this thing is changing, uh, you know, machines are going to take over the world. And as soon as I hear something like that, you know, just shit starts to rub me the wrong way. So I was like, okay, I got to dig a little bit into this. And the more I dug, the more I found that, no, you know, these probability machines. And then I started seeing like how, um, just how annoying it was to use something like ChatGPT in the way that I wanted to use it. Like I was trying to use it as a writing assistant and I found that I was just like rewriting everything. I spent all day fucking prompting it, trying to get it to talk like in a particular way so that I actually use something out of it. I was like, this is fucking garbage. And I thought, hey, is there is there um, a way that we could maybe use this language model technology to uh, build characters and maybe have these specific characters um, be on call right so the the actual first thing we tried to do was build a jordan peterson model actually and honestly that failed miserably um it was uh you know it was we tried to do what's called like a retrieval enhanced model so you use open ai's api to speak to a corpus of jordan peterson's data and it's kind of like you see these people running around every day saying oh you know train your ai on your own data yeah we did that approach now that whole phrase is wrong. First of all, you're not training it on your own data because training a model is a completely different methodology than taking some data, turning it into numbers, and then having a model reference that data. That's not training. And that's what all of these things that you hear out there when people talk about training it on your own data, learn to read your PDFs, read a, you know, like a Warren Buffett AI, right? It's like, you know, take this report, summarize it. You have not trained the AI on that data. All it's doing is you've taken the whole report, you've broken it up into chunks, and you've turned each chunk into a number that a, a pre-existing language model can read and then interpret the meaning of that piece. Um, so, so it's that's just a retrieval database. It's literally all it is. So these are called retrieval-enhanced um, uh, language models, right? And and all it is is just ChatGPT. Um, having some stuff injected into the prompt. So you could actually do this manually. You could look at Warren Buffett's um, report. You can take a paragraph out, copy, paste into your prompt and say, please, um, in the voice and tone of Warren Buffett, reference the above paragraph and give me a summary on what is being said. And you could do that with everything and then you can summarize everything and you kind of like take it through a few layers. All of these retrieval enhanced models are doing that in an abstract manner, right? So they do that... Uh, programmatically for you, but it's just ChatGPT uh, under the hood. So anyway, we we took that approach um, and we were kind of like disillusioned with it. And one of the things we did at the time, we were like, oh, you know, we'll mess around with Jordan Peterson and a couple of different characters. One of them was Satoshi. But as I as I did that, two things hit me. One, that retrieval enhancement is like, you know, not as uh, mind blowing as we thought. And number two, I thought, man, we're not really solving a problem here. Like, so what? You've got a character in your pocket, but you know, what are you going to do with them? Like, 
you know, ask Jordan Peterson what he ate for breakfast. No, like it's kind of gets a little bit boring. So <laughs> we're like, what, what's a real problem that we could potentially solve here? And, and the problem that dawned on me was, hey, in the next decade or two, somewhere between 100 million to a billion people are going to ask the question, why Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? How do I use it? Where do I get it? Blah, 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 right? The million and one questions that sort of come out of that rabbit hole. And I thought, okay, well, most people, you know, after a period of time, get a little bit sick of answering the same thing over and over again. Um, you know, doing, answering things in person as well is always more effective. Sorry, more, um, yeah, effective, but it's not very efficient. You know, answering things at scale, uh, you know, through podcasts and stuff like that is more efficient, but it's not as effective. Could we kind of get a blend between effectiveness and efficiency using a language model by taking everything that's ever been said, written, thought about Bitcoin, curating it very well. So like not doing what OpenAI did, which is train their model on the mainstream, but like train it on what we select and we can select better because we're Bitcoiners and we understand the nuance. So could we do that? Could we actually build a model? And could that act as some sort of utility for orange pilling, educating, taking people down the rabbit hole, et cetera? So that was the original vision and the mission and you know why I sort of went down that path. Um, has that changed? Has that evolved? Kind of. So at this stage, we're still intent on getting the, the actual language model built out. And, you know, we're doing that alongside the community, alongside a whole lot of programmatic methods. Um, and, you know, we, we're pretty confident that in the next month, two, three, and at least by the end of the year, after a few iterations, I think we'll have a pretty solid Bitcoin language model. Um, what we do with that language model then is another question or another story is like, how do we productize that? How do we turn it into a service? How do we make that useful, viable, available, et cetera? Um, so that, that's another thing that we're still planning out, but fundamentally speaking, the, um, the intent is to have it at the very least be an alternative offering to something like ChatGPT that is more, uh, likely to say something like, so if you ask ChatGPT about Bitcoin today, it'll probably tell you something like Bitcoin is a cryptocurrency similar to Ethereum and others built on blockchain technology, you know? To most people, they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right, because that's what they understand in the mainstream. To you and I, that's like, the fuck does that even mean? Like, what is blockchain technology anyway? Like, what what the fuck is these other cryptos? Why is Bitcoin? So, like, means nothing. It's a shitty answer. It's, it's a, a shitty answer, exactly. So our one, we're hoping by running this training from scratch, it should say something more like Bitcoin is a new form of sound money, unlike fiat money and other cryptocurrencies um, that, you know, in that uses a unique consensus model to, you know, produce a set of fixed and immutable rules. You know, it should say something more like that and less like what the mainstream should do. If we can nail that, I think we have a good starting point to then maybe do some other things like, you know, later on you can do retrieval enhancements. So you can like point to particular articles, point to particular videos. You can start yeah. to do some more intelligent stuff, but like you just got to get the language right first. And that's that's a whole uh, game of, you know, changing the weights and biases so that you fundamentally change the probabilities of what words come out later. So anyway, I hope that answers the question kind of. Yeah, it does. And I think orange pilling is sort of like an art and a science and you're right or when you talk to someone in person it's so much more effective because you can actually 
ask the right questions to understand where this person is in their journey and be able to give them resources or, uh, you know, the right questions to be asking based on the stage that they're at right now. And, you know, it'd be interesting to have Spirit Satoshi be sort of this dynamic, almost conversational mm-hmm. model where when you ask it, what is Bitcoin? Maybe the first question it asks is, what do you understand about money? Do you understand the properties of money? Like maybe it, maybe it, because my, the thing I've been working on these days is whenever someone asks me about Bitcoin, I'm actually trying to respond with more questions than answers because I realized that my assumptions of where this person is or what they need to know, if they're not grounded in any actual actual facts of, of understanding that person, uh, they they often just don't lead anywhere or they're just shitty answers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that really hit me when I heard you talking about this, I think it was with Breedlove, was this notion that, you know, Google solved the problem of search, right? There's a ton of websites out there in the interwebs and Google helps you find the right website for what you're looking for. But it almost seems like instead of actually being a utility to help people research, now Google is essentially the answer, right? To where yes. people offshore their thinking. So they, they don't actually have to think anymore. They just ask Google and Google gives them the answer. And I think the vulnerability there is if Google is captured, um, Google can essentially give people whatever information the state wants them to receive. And then that gets interpreted as truth. So this notion of Spirit of Satoshi being sort of this, this tool to mitigate the risk of language being regulated by the state in order to determine people's truth, right? If what, what is containing Google often becomes literally the truth for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the state doesn't want people to understand Bitcoin, all it has to do is plug is is force Google to say bullshit about Bitcoin. Is say something bad. Bitcoin is bad for the environment. Bitcoin, whatever. All the all the fun, um, and so just the idea of being able to create a language model that is independent of state control or state um, imposition in terms of them doing with it what they want, really like hit me. It's like, yeah, in order to preserve truth about Bitcoin, in order to give people a really good resource for understanding Bitcoin. It has to be done outside of the mainstream noise and just the idea of having a community of Bitcoiners create high signal resources inside of this domain specific language model that is focused on Bitcoin so it can do it better than anyone else and actually have truth embedded into it. To me, it was like that's a that's almost like an existential necessity for Bitcoin to be able to live on free of the risk of being manipulated by, you know, the Googles of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the idea of being able, someone being able to go into a computer interface, ask questions anywhere, anytime, in any language uh, about anything related to Bitcoin and actually receive truthful responses or better questions is like, that is the ultimate scalable orange peeling tool that I think it's not like nice to have. It's actually, like you said, if we want to orange pill 100 million to a billion people, that's actually the only way to do it at scale, I think, and preserve quality. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, t- you touched yeah. on something interesting there. It's like this idea that, you know, there's this whole drive chain conversation going on at the moment, right? And the nerds, you know, once again, they think that oh, if we only just add this feature to Bitcoin, uh, we'll win. You know, like if we can allow people to build shit coins on Bitcoin, then there's going to be no more shit coins. <laughs> and they don't understand, like it's it's such such a poor understanding of human psychology. It's why nerds are so you know socially awkward, and and, and I and I I tease them like tongue in cheek because you know when I was young I was quite a nerd and you know I had zero social skills. It was 
you know, it was not until I started like trying to understand human psychology that I got a little bit more, uh, you know, I guess grounded and uh, also more humble in my understanding of like how to interpret human behavior because you know human behavior is not just a simple algorithm like you know maybe a language model is you know an algorithm you know it is a law of large numbers it is probabilities um, and to some degree humans have you know probabilities and habits and um, stuff like that built into them but we're far more dynamic and you can't just replicate a human being into a program. It doesn't work that way. This is this is like really where the fundamental disconnect is with people thinking that you know a machine is going to turn into something sentient. Like it, it just doesn't. I don't think it works that way. So anyway, <laughs> I would agree. With back you. To, yeah. So so coming back to Bitcoin, it's like you know Bitcoin's not going to win just because you know we're we're going to add some extra features through drive chains and magically everybody's now going to find utility in Bitcoin. It's like Bitcoin is a psychological battle. Like it is, it is, it is a social, sociological battle. Like it's something like it's, it's economics. Like the, the cost of being wrong about Bitcoin far outweighs the cost of being wrong about the next fucking NFT or the next iPhone, you know, or the next yeah. computer, like technological, like technological opportunity costs are far smaller than the opportunity cost of being wrong about money. And, and that, that goes both ways, right? Like, you know, just because you're the first to get an iPhone doesn't mean you're going to have some extraordinarily big upside because everybody else will end up with an iPhone as well. But if you're the first to get Bitcoin, you have a massive upside because it takes so long for people to follow. So, you know, the, the, the stakes are much higher. So to, to sort of tie off that um, idea is that the, the battle for Bitcoin is going to be one more in the field of educating people on why something like Bitcoin matters than it is by creating another feature or another trinket that you sort of yeah. slap on and try and, you know, make it a better payment system or make it another shitcoin system or something like that. Human psychology is not so fickle and it's not so simple. Um, and yeah, I think if we're going to try and like, Orange people, we need to understand who they are. We need to, we need to, we need to find that hook, and then we need to relate it back to Bitcoin somehow. And if we do that, then we we have an opportunity to to more effectively orange people. Yeah, and for me, that hook is always trying. You know, like people are always people love to complain. I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of things to complain about today. Maybe that's a better way of wording it. And so everyone has their own individual pain points. And almost every pain point has a tether in money at some point, right? Some of them are abstract. Some of them are very non-obvious. And most of the questions I ask are about trying to find out, like, what is someone's chief pain point in life? And how do I connect that with money? And how do I use that to stimulate some interest in people understanding money from a first principles basis? Because it's really not that complex. And then you've created a foundation for them to be able to assess what is the best money. And that all those roads inevitably lead to Bitcoin. But starting with the Bitcoin conversation without a strong foundation makes it a very fragile game where like you might get someone to be interested in it, but it's so flight, it's so fleeting that it's not salient enough for them to actually lean into it further. It's just this other fancy thing, an investment or whatever they call it. Um, and the, yeah, just the idea of, like I work for a health network and our whole um, concept of creating a digital community is collective sense-making is like, how do we take the, ins how do, if we have a thousand people in this network, 
and each of them are working with people on their health and one person has an insight in the network in some in Norway. How do we facilitate the process of that person's insight becoming the community's insight where every single person connected to that network now has this insight that they can apply in their own lives. And to me, Spirit Satoshi is sort of like the, you know, you get this emergence of collective intelligence when you connect, connect a bunch of minds together, sharing their insights, sharing their understanding and be able to compile them into this model that can then be accessed by anyone anywhere. To me, that is the ultimate way to sort of curate everyone's insights or ways of explaining Bitcoin uh, and putting them into a tool that's available to everyone with an internet connected device. And I think that is like, that is the path to curating collective intelligence is having a software tool that facilitates that. Um, it's not to say that the software itself is intelligent, but the software becomes something that can extract the, the collection of human intelligence that's being fed into it. So it's not more intelligent than the combination of the data being put into it, but it's the compiling machine that allows us to sort of extract out these collective insights that wouldn't otherwise be able to be possible with in, if those insights happen in isolated patches. So I think, oh. yeah, it's I think the intelligence of the people curating this data gets misconstrued as being the intelligence of the, the thing itself, whereas it is... Uh, I don't know if that's making any sense, but that, that no, kind of hit yeah, me where yeah. it's like, it doesn't mean the software is intelligent. It's just compounding all of the human intelligence to create this thing that couldn't be created individually. Um, and so what, so you're creating this as a way to preserve truth, as a way to create an orange pilling tool that can be used at scale for the next, you know, billion users that come into Bitcoin and want to learn about it or understand it. Um, and you know, back to that notion of people going to Google for truth, like just think of the game theory of Google, Google starts to understand what Bitcoin is, they want to stack as many sats as they can for the rest of the world, how easy would it be for them to just put in some way of delaying people onboarding into the system for a year while they stack cheap sats, and then they just, then they switch the algorithm, and then they point to good information, and then the whole world pumps Google's bags. You know, to me, it's like that. I don't think Google would necessarily, I, I don't think it wouldn't be Google for do, it wouldn't be good for Google to do that, but it actually would they're financially incentivized to do that in a way, right? And so it's kind of we need to mitigate that risk in some way by having an alternate path for people to learn about Bitcoin, where they're not dragged into the cryptocurrency world, where they're not dragged into the um, the easy path of being fed a narrative that says Bitcoin is bad just to delay them participating in the world's monetary network until they can't participate with the same early advantage. So how does this thing actually get created? Like I'm, I'm sort of logging in and, you know, helping to train Spirit of Satoshi every Saturday morning. I go and answer some questions, do some FUD busting and all that kind of stuff. But to someone who doesn't understand how this actually is being done, what approach are you taking to incentivize the Bitcoin community to come in and feed this software with good quality information? And how do you go about making sure that the information is actually good? Like who says it's good or bad? Uh, what are the mechanics mm -hmm. of how this thing actually gets created? I'm very curious to hear you explain yeah. it. So I'll explain that in one second. I just wanted to touch on one point there, what you mentioned with respect to it's very easy for Google to do X, Y, Z to delay things. And like, yes, there there is an argument for you know the nefarious side of things. There's also just the, the, the straight up argument for just 
using status quo information. Like a lot of these large language models are just trained on what's on Wikipedia and what's on Wikipedia. You know, like the the same old dog shit about, you know, Bitcoin's a cryptocurrency built on blockchain technology, whatever that means, right? So that that real nuance, like unless you understand the domain, you're just not going to find it there. So like, this is why every single model, so it's not just ChatGPT, it's like all the open source models, the llamas, the falcons, the mosaics, the red pajamas, like all these other models out there, they're all trained on the same fucking garbage. So like probabilistically speaking, they're all going to basically spew out something similar. Now, what's interesting is they're all actually quite good at um, producing like technical information. So like, you know, you ask something technical about Bitcoin, like, you know, to explain a BIP or to, you know, explain how private keys work um, or to explain like, you know, what's SHA-256 and how does mining work and all that sort of stuff. Like a lot of that stuff is good. But as soon as you start like leaning into like the the philosophy or the economics about it, you know, like you ask it about, you know, why is a, um, why is uh, a fixed supply of money a good thing for society? Like you'll get something like, well, it's not good or bad. It's just a different approach because, mm. you know, as, as, you know, has been seen, um, you know, a small amount of inflation helps society like increases property. It's like, no, it doesn't like small amount <laughs> of inflation does not help that. But so like that mainstream sort of like, um, yeah. you know, midwit, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Overton window worth of information is what all these models are trained on. So, this is the importance of having a alternative. So it's not just for nefarious reasons. It's just for classic ignorance and stupidity reasons um, yep. that people just think that shit's normal. People think inflation is just a fucking normal thing that we should have. Um, and I think it's important to obviously have an alternative to that. So anyways, coming back to your second question, how does this all work? So language models live and die by the data that's fed into them. You know, there's this narrative that ChatGPT was trained on the whole internet. That's actually false. Um, it was trained on a very, 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 very small subset of the internet, like less than a percent. Mm-hmm. And what it is, it's like there's so much data on the internet, but very little of it can actually be used to train AI because it's not clean. It's not tagged. It's not labeled. It's not structured in such a way that you can just feed it to a model, right? So what you need to do is you need to, you know, spend a lot of time, money, and energy structuring data in a particular format, um, whether it's chunks, whether it's question and answer pairs, whether it's like paragraphs of like text about a particular topic, whatever it is, like there's a whole, you know, series of data formats. Um, And, you know, all of that needs to be in some way representative of what you want the model to produce later. And you need to get all of that. You need to, you know, obviously you need to collect it. You need to curate it. You then need to, you know, clean it. You then need to format it. And then you need to feed it into a model so that you can train it. And what you're doing during the training process, honestly, is really simple, is you're playing a game of next word prediction. So that's essentially what you're doing is like the you're feeding it a paragraph of text the model will uh, basically mask words in that text and it'll try and guess the right word that's supposed to go in those masked places. And depending on the accuracy with that, 
that feeds back into the model to go and change the weights and biases to increase the probability that the words in those masked positions actually go there. And it does this on multiple rounds. Like this is what neural net training is essentially. And I'm simplifying things here, but like trying, yeah, trying to say it in a way that- Keep it simple. Yep. So what what we're doing with, um, with Spirit of Satoshi is we are trying to get the Bitcoin community involved in the process of the, the data curation, the data cleanup and the data creation, like that element there. And we're doing that through a couple tools. Number one, there's a tool called the, the Nakamoto repository where anybody anywhere in the world can just like submit a, um, submit a piece of data that they think might be relevant to such a language model. Could be, could be anything. Could be a new essay they read by Breedlove. You know, it could be, you know, a book that they read, you know, by some Austrian economist or whatever. They can go to the Nakamoto repository. I don't have the link off the top of my head, but if they go spiritsatoshi.ai, there's a link there. And you can, first you can search for it, see if it's already been appended. Um, and if it's not there, you can upload it. You can either put a link or a text box or whatever. And every day we go through and we just uh, approve what's good. Obviously we don't approve what's bad, right? Um, so that's part of the collection phase and the curation phase. How do you then, distinguish between good and bad? Just out of curiosity. It's something we just sort of do internally as like, we kind of like custodians of the data we believe is aligned with Bitcoin. So, you know, I've gone to great lengths to make sure that the person, like it was initially myself that was going through every morning and selecting that. Uh, but, you know, it's a Bitcoiner that I trust and, you know, he's got his mandates. Like, you know, is it Austrian economics? Is it, you know, Bitcoin related? Is it within that sphere? You know, what is it? Boom, you know, is it? Alternatively, is it like shit coining? Is it some mainstream crap? You know, what is it? Like, just remove it. Right. And so there's like a parameter criteria where it's like, is it in this box or is it not? And then that's sort of the decision framework. Pretty much, pretty much. And this is this is not to say that like, you know, a big misconception people have about like the data you feed language models. It's not that the language model actually knows anything about that data. Like it's not later gonna remember, oh, Mises wrote this or fucking Breedlove wrote that or anything. Literally, none of that happens in a fine tuning. In a fine tuning, all you're doing is you're you're changing the probability that the language style that comes out from the model is more like what's been fed in. So, like we could, for example, you know, chuck something in there from Vitalik, right? Because he has written some stuff early days about Bitcoin, even though he might not have been 100% pro Bitcoin, but his language style we might deem you know useful to to put in here. Sure, but like. We don't need to do that. Like, so we don't need to have like every bit of data in the world. Like we know that linguistically speaking or um, what's the word? Like I'm, tr I'm trying to find the word here. It's like the, the direction of how a Bitcoin or an Austrian economist might speak has a certain flavor about it. Like I remember earlier what I said about like, you know, you ask a mainstream person, oh yeah, Bitcoin, isn't Bitcoin just another crypto with blockchain technology versus you ask a Bitcoiner about Bitcoin, yeah, it's sound money, right? Like it comes from a different place. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the kind of distinction. So there's no like hard and fast rule. It's like, this is in, this is out, but it's kind of, you know, like you look at something you're like, yeah, okay, that's the right flavor. That's the wrong flavor. And we just try and curate that stuff. So then once that's all in there, um, there's multiple different processes, but like basically what we'll do is 
we'll take that data, we'll convert it into a text format. So we'll either scrape it or, you know, if it's a PDF, we'll convert it or whatever we'll do. And then we actually have to break it into chunks. And these chunks, uh, you know, could be a thousand characters long, 500 characters long, whatever. Like, I think there's some parameters there from a, you know, ingestion standpoint. I don't know the exact specifics, but we break it all down. And that is just done purely blindly and programmatically. You know, we just run a, a Python program, it breaks it all up. So you have these like chunks with a bit of overlap, which means the chunks can sometimes start like halfway through a sentence and end halfway through a sentence. So it's kind of shit. So to programmatically clean that up, you actually can use another language model to say, hey, please take this paragraph and make it you know, complete. So it's a broken paragraph. It'll go there and make it complete. Now, this is where problems potentially come in, is that if you use you know, the language models that are available out there through API, which is OpenAI, Google, whatever, usually they'll take the paragraph and they'll re-summarize it in its own sort of words. And you know, if you've ever tried to get ChatGPT to re-summarize a Bitcoin paragraph, you'll see what I mean. It comes out with all of the fucking shit in it. So we have to do all this fucking prompt engineering to make sure that it comes out with the spirit of what was originally said or as close as possible to what was originally said, but to kind of like close the paragraph off. Now, sometimes that doesn't work very well, which means, you know, all of that data then gets fed to um, basically a human step. Um, now, before, before I explain the human step, there is also other versions of this, which is, it's not just the articles and essays that we're doing, we're also doing podcasts. So, you know, we'll break up, we'll transcribe the podcast, we'll break it up, we'll run it through, we'll synthesize it. And then at the other end, some of the stuff you'll get is shit from the podcast, like, you know, what I ate for breakfast or what I did this weekend, like, you know, what Bitcoin podcasts, like people talk about everything. So a lot of that shit's just irrelevant. Like what, you know, that doesn't need to be in a language model. So that stuff needs to be deleted. And you can do that to a degree programmatically, but it's, you know, at some point you do need a human eye to sort of run through it. So this last step, the human cleanup is where we basically encourage the Bitcoin community to get involved is we say, all right, you can go in there. We've got three features. Don't trust verify. We're all Satoshi and Fedbuster. And the don't trust verify is the cleanup, the data cleanup component is you go in there and all you're doing is you're like doing like Tinder, keep or discard. And you're selecting as a Bitcoiner, what you think is relevant, you know, in terms of linguistically speaking, accuracy, like does this make sense for a model to say like keep or what the fuck is it talking about? I think it's keep discard. And then I don't know where it's like, I don't have an opinion on this or I don't know enough. Correct. You can skip it. Um, You can also edit it actually. So, you know, if you see something like close to accurate, um, you can edit it, you can like remove a word, change some things, whatever. So you can actually put that in there. Now, what we do on the back end is, you know, this data is going to everybody. So we've got like a little consensus model floating in the back, which I can't tell you exactly what that consensus model is because we don't want people to game it. But essentially, we're looking for multiple people to perform the same action. So it's kind of like mining, right? It's like if you and X amount of other people agree that this should be kept, then it is kept and you guys are given points. And if someone there decided to discard it, they're more likely out of consensus with the rest of you. So they get no points. And it goes the opposite way around. If a bunch of you uh, agreed that, no, this is garbage, 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 but someone decided to keep it, then, well, they're out of consensus, so they get no points, but you guys all get points. So it's like a um, feedback. It's basically like a way to 
automate the weeding process through consensus. And the other thing too that I really appreciated was the um, vetting process that you, like you actually have to give information to become part of Spirit of Toshi, to become a trainer, let's call it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and I think there's something to be said there too, because the more you vet people and sort of do quality control on the front end, the less weeding you end up having to do on the back end and the more you can kind of curate high signals. So I, I, I really appreciate it appreciated that part of it too where it's not just like oh you sign up you give your email and then you're part of it it's like no no, no you actually have oh, i don't know if there's a human going through it or if there's a piece of software that's running through to approve people but i i feel like that's a big element in creating something just of higher quality totally totally so this this is uh, i was going to save that for later but you just hit it on the head which is that was part of our uh curation process we're like okay how do we make sure that this just doesn't have a bunch of fuckwits come in and like really yeah. you know destroy the data we're like okay well let's create an intake form and in intake form there's a couple of trick questions which kind of tell us where someone is you know in terms of their bitcoin thinking and um and yeah like we we manually go through those daily because we get applications every day and then you know you get submitted into the group and you can be a part of this and and this is like yeah as you said it's extremely important because it's just another layer of increasing the quality because we're not interested in so much the quantity like we need quantity of data but if it was just quantity we would use language models purely to just clean and produce the data and yeah. you know spit it out the other side but it doesn't mean anything so like we want the quality and you know th this is probably a good place to just say the last feature which is we're all satoshi and fudbuster basically similar features one's just more focused on fud the other one is just general questions but it allows contributors to not just like verify and clean data but to also produce data which is you get a question and you know your job as a contributor is to answer the question like you would imagine a spirit satoshi language model would answer it and as if you were question, satoshi exactly as if you're satoshi so that question then goes into the pile of the things that people keep and approve and if people keep it you get 10 times the amount of points than as if you were just um, keeping and approving, uh, sorry, keeping and discarding yourself. So, so it's an incentive to uh, get involved, which leads to the last bit is people are on there earning points and the points are directly redeemable for sats. And we're still yeah. experimenting how many sats, you know, we should be giving away, like how valuable it all is. Um, I think we're honestly, we're probably a little bit on the low side, but, um, you know, we'll probably look to increase that or we'll probably create some sort of competition. So that way on a monthly basis, the best contributors like win, you know, 50, 100,000, 200,000 sats, like, you know, some bigger chunks like that. But um, yeah, man, it's like, it's a, it's a process that gets the community engaged. You know, there's a lot of people, as you said earlier, like, People complain about a lot of things because there is a lot of things to complain about. But like, unless we become solution oriented, like we can complain to a blue in the face about how woke chat GPT is and shit like that. Well, fuck. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It is woke. Well, come help build something better. And that's what we're doing. And I, yeah. And the thing, I, cause there really is two kinds of people. There's people who complain and there's people who see the bullshit and then build something to solve that problem. Um, and what I think is really cool with Spirit of Satoshi is not only have you created a game, like I actually like Saturday is like Saturday is my morning every week mm -hmm. where I just do Bitcoin research. It's like my ritual. Um, you know, my, my wife knows like, I don't, I don't interrupt him Saturday mornings cause that's, he's, I'm doing self custody cleanup, firmware updates, all that kind of stuff. And part of that is 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes of Spirit of Satoshi contributing and it's actually a lot of fun. It's kind of turned into a game when I got the first 500 stats. I was like, oh shit, this is real. I'm actually getting paid for contributing my energy. 
And, you know, it makes me want to put more time into each answer to, to just yield, knowing that this could be a tool that's used by millions of people. It's like, mm -hmm. I have a sense of meaning that it's like, not only is it a fun game to play where I can actually earn sats by contributing uh, information into this tool, there's actually a deep sense of meaning where it's like, this can actually contribute to a lot of people learning about Bitcoin in the right way, in the way that I wish I would have learned about it initially. And so it's actually a, I think it's, I think you've just democratized the ability for people to be part of the builder crew mm -hmm, without needing mm -hmm. to build something from scratch themselves because they either right. don't know how, or they just don't have the energy to do it. And so I think that's a pretty special thing. Um, and if anyone does want to get involved, like if, if there's Bitcoiners listening, the, the Stoa is mainly people who already understand Bitcoin and are curious about new things. Although I hope that eventually it'll be, a, you know, it's the place that I direct people to who don't want know anything about Bitcoin and want to just learn. You know, it's where I, I tried to record episodes that I could send my mom to where she, where she can learn about money from first principles and mm -hmm. go through her own journey from start from start to, you know, advance and understanding Bitcoin. But if there are Bitcoiners listening to this, where do they go to become part of this or learn more about it? Um, yeah. I, yeah. Well, first of all, really good insight in terms of what you just said there. It's like it's trying to open the door for people to actually, as you said, be builders. I, I didn't even think of it that way. Like I was always thinking as contributors. But, yeah, you, contributing to this is fundamentally helping build it. So it's a, a, it's a, it's a great frame of reference. And it's like um, it's not – I think there's very few things that you can actually feel a sense of being part of building something in as little mm -hmm. as like 20 minutes a week. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if the great, if the pyramid has great pyramids have whatever it is, 2 million blocks, you can be one of 10 people helping to bring one block. And then you could be like, I've done something. And mm -hmm. if you want to do more, you mm -hmm. can, but I don't think there's many opportunities to actually see something materializing and seeing it evolve and being able to participate in with as little or as much energy as you want based on your preference, your bandwidth and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. where it's not solely dependent on you. So I think, yeah, you've kind of, like you said, you've opened the door of people being able to contribute or help build something even with a small amount of energy. And I think that, you know, you can either have someone put a thousand hours into it or you can have 10,000 people put like, you know, a 10th of an hour mm -hmm. and maybe that's more scalable. And maybe that actually gets a more diverse set of perspectives as long as those people come from a background of understanding um and so that whole idea where it's like yes you want to there's probably like a fine balance where you want to curate high quality people but you also don't want it to be a monocrop where it's lacking diversity oh, yeah. so i think yeah. i think the idea of it not being like this giant commitment actually fosters that which is cool totally totally yeah so to answer then your second question is how do people get involved spiritsatoshi.ai simple as that it's um it's on there there's two there's two buttons where you know one is to um to submit uh stuff to the repository and the other one is to apply to train satoshi and i mean the application like people shouldn't be afraid of it like it's you know it'll take you five minutes just to answer a couple questions um and you know tell us a little bit about yourself your background and everything but uh yeah it's it's super easy you get in there we approve we try and approve daily um except for the weekends and then, yeah, people can get in there and some sats. Like there's a new leaderboard. And as I said, like now that we've kind of got like the leaderboard in place and we've got a couple, you know, things cleaned up starting next month, we're going to start doing like weekly and monthly, you know, giveaways to sort of really incentivize people to just do, do a little bit more. Do you have ways for people to donate sats who want to contribute to some of those, you know, like, um, 
this asset are getting paid out? Is there, I don't, I don't know if yeah, this coming is, soon. I haven't seen it. Coming yeah, soon. Coming okay. soon. So I, I want to, I've got a call with guys uh, uh, next week and I want to do like a guys cool. fund with the boys. So that way we can raise some money for that. Cause at the moment we're just paying it all out ourselves. Um, yep. And, but, but at some stage we'll definitely want to do like some sort of crowd fund to encourage people. Cause we just did a, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's a young kid out of Africa called Master Guantai. And he does like, he does a lot of translations of like English work into, he speaks like four or five um, African languages. So he's kind of like translating stuff into African languages. He's, cool. um, he's also doing like uh, YouTube videos and Twitter posts and all that sort of stuff about Bitcoin. And, you know, the, his, his audience and those people are like the perfect archetype to go in and contribute here because like for, for you and I, like, you know, making, you know, five, 10,000 sats, whatever, it's like, you know, it's cool, but. You know, I still get it. I still get doing it for the money. bump of dopamine out of it. <laughs> it, it. You do get the bump of dopamine, but it's like, it's not life-changing money, you know, like, but for yeah. them, it's actually something meaningful. Like, um, True. so we'll definitely want to do a bit of a, um, a fundraise for that because, you know, that money is all going to go to them. That's amazing. And yeah, I've, I've sort of, I haven't been involved with it for that long, but even in the brief period of time, I've seen a lot of updates in terms of like the evolution of the dashboard, the evolution of the types of data in there, being paid sats, seeing the leaderboard. It's really cool to see, like to see in real time, the updates that are being made and the evolution of this organism that is still kind of embryonic, but I think has a shitload of potential and really like magnetized me. Cause I see the, you know, the problem of, effectively orange pilling people at scale has been sort of something where I was like, well, maybe there's no solution. Maybe it literally just has to happen through local networks, having a node that then can form channels with other people in the local network. But I think this software solution being something that I can refer, you know, like the health network that's focused on feet that I work for has, you know, probably between all their connections, probably like 300,000 people. It's like, there's no way of orange pilling those people on a person to person basis, but there is, you know, if there was a way to direct them to a tool that um, I knew left them in good hands and would give them truth, that's a pretty powerful tool. Um, regardless of how many people use it, it, it's just knowing that that's there allows us to sort of meet the demand for education that there's going to be and make sure that none of those curious people get led astray, which I think is so it's way easier to get led astray today than it is to be led down a, a good path. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that just creating a tool that Bitcoiners can actually, and here's the thing, if you're a Bitcoiner and you help build this, you're not going to recommend anyone to any other tool. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the okay. idea that any Bitcoiner can be part of helping to build this, whether they get paid sats or not, it's like, this is a fucking meaningful thing. And it's not, you know, it's like, I'm doing this so that my daughter in 10 years can have a tool that she can use to learn about Bitcoin. That is better than I could I could ever do right she can read all the books but the idea that all the different people reading all the books doing all the podcasts coming to their own insights can collectively compile their insights together to come to this just greater collective intelligence than could be achieved otherwise that's some cool shit so yeah thank you for creating actually there's one thing while i have your ear i know that you're uh there was mentioned that you're going to start to do bounties and those bounties will be shared on telegram is there any future plans to share the bounties or post the bounties on the leaderboard online instead of telegram. Cause tell I have to like limit the amount of tech platforms I use, but I don't yeah. want to miss out on seeing what those are and keeping up to date. Totally. Yeah. We, we're going to, we're going to try and drive more of the communication onto 
onto the actual app itself, you know, and at some point, like, you know, at the moment it's just web-based, um, you know, once we have a little bit more resources, we'll turn it into something more app-based. So that way it's like, you know, we can integrate uh, notifications, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, definitely like Telegram just useful because it's like a place to sort of get people in. But man, as, as you know, like Telegram is such a shit show, man. Like it's just noise, 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 noise. So, and it's yeah. hard to keep up with everything. So yeah, definitely. Cool. Excited to see how it evolves. Uh, for you, everyone listening, thanks for being here. Thanks for your attention. We don't take it lightly, and we hope that this episode stimulated a little bit of curiosity. Maybe go check out spiritistoshi.ai, see what you can contribute or see what's going on there. Alex, thanks for being here. Thanks for spiriting this because it is, um, you know, this is, you do a lot of things. You write, you, you, you compile uh, a really cool piece of, you know, I would say like a, a written artifact with the Bitcoin times. Like you do a lot of things. So thank you for spending the energy to do this. Um, let people know just before we wrap up where they can find out more about you, what you write. Uh, you've already let people know spiritistoshi.ai. So yeah, let, let people know where they can find you on the internet, where whatever you're working on right now. And uh, then we'll wrap up. Absolutely, brother. Thank you so much. Really appreciate the kind words. Um, yeah, I, I sometimes feel like I'm doing too many things and, you know, need to kind of simplify, but, you know, who knows, it's a, it's a vigor and a vitality for life that drives me. But yeah, people, if they want to find out more about me, like Svetsky writes W R I T E S on Twitter. Um, and that's usually where I sort of have stuff um, if people want to reach out, but yeah, man, thank you once again for having me. I hope that people found this useful, uh, insightful in any way. Um, I do like people are interested in the AI topic itself more specifically. Um, if they search for authentic intelligence on Substack, I haven't written there in a while, but like there, there is some essays in there which kind of dig into the question of intelligence and consciousness and stuff like that, and kind of like trying to dispel some of the myths. Um, and particularly if they're interested in that conversation about like, you know, how language models are a step change in AI, but, and, and they're dangerous, but not for the reasons people think, like, it's not because AGI is going to pop up tomorrow and kill us all. But what you, what we, we were discussing earlier about like, your entire model of the world becomes the lens through which you view it, which is the problem mm -hmm. with Google today. So like, that's, that's really what we're trying to combat. So if people are interested in that sort of topic. Authentic Intelligence on Substack. Go check that out. But yeah, spiritistoshi.ai, get involved. And if you're interested in more of my ramblings, Twitter, Svetsky writes. No. So thanks everyone for listening. Again, if you want to listen to these podcasts on Fountain, you get paid sats for doing so. And then you can also boost the episode if you enjoy the content. Uh, ciao for now. Catch you next time.